three, two. Oh man, Periscope is effed. What the hell, man? Dude, they're disabling this shit. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by BetSperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Andy, um, you're not watching us on YouTube tonight because they suspended our account. I was gonna say, should, should we talk shit about them or not? Can they see them? I'm gonna, like, I'm, gonna I'm gonna give them 24 hours before we go scorched earth on their ass because it's possible that it was just a misunderstanding, just, just uh, honest just mistake. A, you know, honest mistake. Um, weird things are happening right now in the social media landscape. I don't exactly understand what's going on, but uh, that's okay because other things in the world, particularly the crypto world, are fascinating and going well and um for those reasons there's really you know it's 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 been tough it's been really tough to maintain focus on sports betting it's been really tough to even care uh, about a lot of this stuff because the stakes are so much lower than what is going on otherwise in the world of finance and crypto and for those reasons we're going to do another pod that kind of crosses the boundary here and talk about some of the interesting stuff in this space um obviously as we get into march madness in full effect we'll do some more true sports betting content nba playoffs obviously we'll do some true sports betting content um but this is a big golf tournaments coming up we might have a you know we might even have a horse race at the right time yeah yeah Yeah. definitely just uh oh and obviously the draft certain things like that will come up but you know um well received was the Crypto episode. So many questions. A lot of good, a lot of good DMs, a lot of good uh, feedback. Yeah. yeah. And, so with uh, that, uh, you know, you've heard us talk about crypto now a couple of pods in a row. I don't have any, much new to add other than I've been experimenting with NFE, NFTs to try to understand that space a little bit better. Um, so we figured it was important to bring in a guest who has a little bit more experience, a little bit more knowledge in the same way that when we kind of first got into sports betting, we learned a lot from people with experience and knowledge then it ended up being pretty invaluable. I think it's worthwhile to kind of go on that journey here with respect to crypto and NFTs as well. Uh, and actually, we can cross over a bit because we're welcoming on a new guest tonight who we actually know, first and foremost, from the sports betting community. Uh, this is uh, an account that I first got to know uh, through a couple of tips uh, into some soft markets that were going up about uh, kind of the exotic props of uh, you know, top rusher, top passer, uh, top scoring team, top gaining team. Uh, some of these markets had some pretty absurd long shot prices. And uh, our friend Noah tipped me to a couple of these throughout the NFL season. And uh, it was awesome to see his process and to learn a little bit more about um, you know how to attack some of these exotic markets and then have transitioned into lots of great conversations about crypto and uh, nfts and so without further ado we welcome to the deep dive mr noah rudell how are you doing tonight i'm doing really well just uh, had my son's birthday yesterday I took him to do some painting today and uh, ready <laughs> to talk about crypto nfts and a little different kind of art with you guys 
Right on, right on. So yeah, as I mentioned, you know, I, I know you originally through sports betting and NFL betting in particular. Um, is that kind of your primary focus in this space? Would you say, or or NFL? Are you an NFL guy at heart, like us? I, I do like NFL a lot. You know, I, I got into sports betting mostly from fantasy. I do a lot of uh, typical years. I do a lot of fantasy sports. I'll have a few hundred teams that are managed teams running at a time. And I think a couple of years ago, we had 12,000 um, 12, best ball drafts that I did in one year. Just, you know, something that I, I doing and I typically do fairly well. So I, I kind of got into sports betting from that side of things. Um, I've been into crypto longer than I've been into you know, sports or sports betting, though. So I, I mean, I kind of... I guess I, I got into it uh, the opposite way from you guys who probably got into crypto because of sports betting. But, yep. uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I cut back from three leagues to two a couple years ago because I didn't have time for the one auction draft. <laughs> so I, I, I understand the grind of fantasy. It, it can be a thing. And like you, you hit the nail on the head. Like the first time when we've mentioned this numerous times, the first time we used crypto was for utility. Like, oh, we can move money around between books. This is super sweet. No, no. I just thought it was fun, and I uh, got into it back in 2011, 2012, and you know I bought bought some bitcoins. You know they were under 100 dollars at the time, and was just kind of playing around with it. And I've made just about all of all of the mistakes that you can make in the crypto space. So you know, I tuition's guess, expensive. Yeah, yeah, you learn <laughs> a lot of expensive lessons when you are, especially if you're doing some of the things that I was doing because I was looking for arbitrage opportunities within the crypto markets because I, you know, it was kind of like a puzzle that I thought I could solve. So spent a little bit of time doing that, ended up losing uh, over 70 Bitcoin at MT Gox when, uh, when that went busto. So that was, uh, you know, at the time it was actually a significant amount of money. It, it wasn't when I first started, you know, it, it, there were a few bucks each and I was playing around with buying some Bitcoin and sending them to different places and selling them for more money and then sending it back. And, you know, I just created an account at MT Gox and uh, I sent some Bitcoin there to sell. And they said, hey, there's a problem with your KYC information. We're, we're, we're instituting new KYC policy. So we need we need more information. So I had to submit more information. And they said, OK, you can't sell until you finish this information. And then, you know, weeks went by. And in the meantime, you know, when I had sent it all there, you know, Bitcoin was less than 100 bucks. And then by the time... MT Gox went busto. It had gone to over a thousand dollars per Bitcoin. So I've watched, you know, the small amount of money that's sitting there become a very large amount of money, especially when I was 22 at the time. So I'm just watching this happen and trying to uh, withdraw by any means possible. And then uh, they just said we got hacked and all of the Bitcoins are gone. We're sorry. So that was an expensive lesson. Uh, other expensive lessons I. I thought that it was cool that Overstock.com would allow you to pay in Bitcoin. So I bought a couch from Overstock.com for four and a half Bitcoin back in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> I had just held on to you. That's over a quarter of a million dollars right now and will probably be a million dollars over the summer at some point. So that was, Do you uh, still have that couch? I mean, over yeah, Overstock kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only reason I liked Overstock was because they accepted Bitcoin at the time. I didn't understand 
the principles of you know Bitcoin being a store of value as opposed to a means of exchange. Of and uh, you know, I was I was 23, 24, you know, just having fun, yeah. but yeah. uh yeah. painful lessons. God, man, that Mount, the, is it, was it really empty Gox? I always read it Mount Gox. <laughs> yeah. Magic it's really empty. Gathering. Yeah. Magic the Gathering is what it was. It was like a, it was like oh, a, man. Bought this whole, yeah, like memorabilia and collectibles for Magic the Gathering. And that's what it was. And then they converted it into a crypto exchange. Anyway, oh my I, God. Yeah. You know, obviously you didn't get into the cards, Drew. No. Yeah. Did you know it was MT Gox for Mount? No, I had no idea. No, like I thought it was, I thought. Well, it was it's because I heard sure. you say Mount Gox one time, so I'm like, well, that's what you said. <laughs> I was only yeah. sending it there because at the time they their Bitcoin you could sell for you know eight percent more than at the exchanges here in the United States. So you that's could fascinating. Send your Bitcoin, sell it, transfer it back. And okay, then, so uh, so you were largely doing arbitrage where you were specifically you knew there were a couple exchanges. You were just looking across Bitcoin price, and you were like, "Okay, I'm going to sell my. I'm going to." You were exchanging them for stablecoin, and then moving the stablecoin, and then buying them. Or stablecoins did not exist. At the didn't time. exist. So how do you pull that off? This is a transfer, but I mean, it would take transfer. it would okay. take four days. But oh, Jesus. I, I didn't sounds like, it sounds like dapper. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the empty Gox story kind of sounds like you're kind of freaking me the fuck out right now because like the da- you know a lot of people on uh, Top Shot were granted withdrawal access today. Oh yeah, and basically it says send it to an Ethereum wallet, and then when they do, it says we'll get back in about two weeks. Yeah, like oh, do you, do you have the money? <laughs> I'm getting a lot of uh, PTSD vibes from the stories that I'm hearing about Dude, you know that, that whole situation right now, just because you know I went through all of that. It was three months overall between when I first got bitcoins over there and when it, they finally said yes, we have a problem and all the bitcoins are gone. But it was three months of trying to get any kind of response out of them. Wow. 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 Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, Bitcoin has a checkered past. There's a lot of crazy stuff. The fact that it's made it this far is an, is a testament to its resilience. Um, you know, the fact that it's gone through two just incredible bull bear cycles and we're on the third bull, you know, true bull cycle is, you know, is amazing. Like, and it, and it, the, I don't know, it's, it seems programmed. Honestly, the price yeah. seems programmed. It's and it and no, it's it's uh you know it it was carefully game theoried, engineered in a way to um to do this because of the supply shock kind of built into the process. Um and you know it it I am I've beyond I'm beyond the point of um you know really questioning it at all at this point. Uh, it does seem inevitable that uh, this is sort of the future of you know most transactional, you know, and store of value use cases for the digital age. And um, I guess, stop me if you disagree, or you want to add clarity to any of these things, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in its in its entirety at a trillion dollar market cap, this is a new asset class that is not that is here to stay. Oh, definitely. And you're going to see it absorb and suck in other elements from traditional finance, but also, you know, the, the Fed is currently working on a central bank digital currency to replace the dollar and the European banks are doing the same thing. You know, the, the Fed has hired uh, TD Ameritrade's crypto uh, chief as their new director of innovation for the Fed. The, these things happen for a reason. And 
the, the, the guy, the new chairman of the SEC, was the cryptocurrency uh, professor from MIT. There, there's there's a lot of things that you can kind of read the tea leaves on and know that the transition away from the the dollar as we know it right now is going to take place. And you know, Bitcoin isn't going to replace the dollar. There's going no. to be no. some kind of central bank issued digital currency that will be your transactional medium, but if the dollar transitions to a digital dollar, basically a, a stable coin, then it becomes more frictionless with the crypto space. You're going to have a wallet that has your Fed bucks or whatever they want to call it on it. I like and that. Crypto you should trademark product. that. Fed bucks? Yeah. Fed I'll, bucks. I'll just in case. But I mean, yeah. and that's yeah. the biggest thing. So like some of the, oh, especially Drew here, who's just turned full-blown crypto nerd. Like in a in a month, but I mean so, some of the stuff. One, we have our little crypto chat now, and some of the articles in there are you know a, a lot deeper than what most people are reading. It's right. Some of it way over my head, but you know the the stuff that people are seeing, like on the I don't know what, like the MSN homepage, like what old people have pop up when they come on their computers, like the articles about Bitcoin. Th those are mainly focused on like institutions and things like that getting into this and you know I, I guess if you want to explain why that's why that's important and why that's such a big step right now and uh, and then maybe the oracle thing today yeah it, it's a big step because we're seeing a new class of buyer and you know over the long term that has the potential to change the way that the asset behaves a little bit you know Bitcoin has been remarkably predictable, maybe the most predictable asset in, in human history in terms of price, and that it goes through cycles on a four-year basis where it goes up 75 times in value, and then it falls by 80%. And then it goes up 75 times in value, and then it falls by 80%. Some of that volatility will change as the personality of the buyer changes. You know, for example, Michael Saylor is not going to sell any of his Bitcoin. You know, the, the MicroStrategy, the company, I think that they're up to 94,000 Bitcoin now that they own as a company, which is valued in billions of dollars. Some of these entities, you know, they, they don't plan to ever sell. And so, you know, it's kind of important for them to get in kind of at, at today's prices because today's prices will be better than what we get in the next bear market. But Basically, you have all of these entities that are getting into the space and holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet as a multi-year prospect. They don't want to pay taxes on, on a sale of the asset, but they're able to leverage that asset in order to get uh, debt. They're able to get loans against the value of their crypto now, and they're able to use that to pay expenses. So they have an asset that on average appreciates over 200% per year that they can just hold on to and then they can use that as a yeah, source it's, of funds to get loans against. Sure. And what, what yeah, I mean, it used to be, yeah, it, it used to be a business like, oh, the, you know, we're a wool factory right. and we need a line of credit and we're going to leverage our factory and the equipment and stuff. And, you know, that's how you, you, you'd leverage a bank to get your money. And, right. you know, that, that's the thing that didn't, yeah. didn't sit with me. I'm like, well, why would somebody never, ever, ever sell? And it's like, well, it's like buying real estate that you could, leverage against later except it doesn't dilapidate there's no yeah. upkeep you just no. you just put it in cold storage and you don't appreciate yeah yeah, yeah. For, for, someone like, for, for someone like for someone like micro strategy 
they would have to be able to have a reasonable expectation of capturing a 30% increase in their Bitcoin holdings for it to make sense for them to sell. Because the way that it's treated, it's treated as property. You know, Bitcoin in America with our tax law, it's, you know, it's not the same everywhere in the world, but in America with our tax law, it's treated as digital property. And so it's not taxable. The appreciation of it is not taxable until you sell it and create a taxable event. So it creates, I think, long-term more stability in the markets. And maybe we don't get the same kind of retracement on the next uh, bear market. Each of the last two bear markets we've gone down and like as soon as Bitcoin touches the 200 week moving average, it starts to come back up. So the 200 week moving average has always been a great re-entry point if it comes down and touches that. But, you know, this next market, we may never get down to the 200 week moving average. There are some people who think we go into some kind of hyper cycle with Bitcoin where it never really dips back down and it just goes up and stabilizes and we don't see another bear market. I don't think we're there yet, but maybe, you know, in another four or eight years that could happen. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Um, okay, a couple of major kind of macro thoughts on this. Um, you don't even, a lot of people kind of point to flaws, point to issues. And I'm very, I, you know, I, I was very plugged in during the 2017 bull run and then, you know, the turn to the bear market. And I kind of saw a lot of things, read a lot of things, heard a lot of conversations and, and you know, I, I'm seeing a very different conversation now. Like it's so, so different. It's, it's worth kind of pointing out some of the nuance here. Um, in two, in 2017 ish, people really weren't satisfied with the, it's a store of value anymore. In fact, everyone was kind of criticizing it. Like this is, this was going to be like a PayPal, right? But it's, fees cost so much. I, I just want to give hundred dollars. I just want to buy a cup of coffee, but like the fees are too much, you know, like I can't do what I want to do with this, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, you know, people kind of were enforcing like, no, this needs to be a medium of exchange if we're going to get enough adoption. That was kind of the thought process or at least the thesis it felt like. And it's crazy because now I feel like we've completely come back around and the institutional players who are buying in are like bought in. I'm like, no digital gold. This, that's what yeah, this is. Yeah, you, you don't take a piece of bouillon down to Starbucks and say, <laughs> I would like, and I need change. You know, it, exactly. It was, there was that time where it's like, well, this is dumb because the utility is never going to be there. And a lot of the naysayers are like, you know, why, why would we use this when, you know, it's basically the same thing as what banks are coming out with when, you know, I, you know, you spoke of what your Fed bucks or whatever, when currency does really become digital. But I mean, it's halfway there. I mean, I think about when I, I mean, I'm, I'm mid thirties. So like when I first got bank accounts, like I wrote checks, I had a check register. Like I remember when online banking came around, I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't even have to keep track now. I could just look and someone could tell me how much is in my account. Like you used to have to call if you screwed up your check register. So like just the adoption of that, I felt like people were, well, wh why am I going to dick around with this when my bank is pretty much doing the same thing now? Right. I think the lesson of Bitcoin in that regard is that the addressable market of all of crypto is so huge that Bitcoin was able to trim down its message and select a niche use case that, okay, we are the store of value. This is, this is the iron bank. You get to be your own banker. You get to have your own wallet, have your own asset that you can 
either earn interest on now, you can now earn interest on Bitcoin, or you can take out loans against it and pay it back and just use your Bitcoin as collateral. So you can basically get all of the lending services that you want without using credit and without using a bank. And that just kind of opens up a whole lot more opportunity for individuals because you can have this asset that can inherently appreciate that you can do all of your own use cases against and it's digital and it's on your phone. So Bitcoin was able to trim down to just a very small use case, but that use case still addresses a, you know, 20 to a hundred trillion dollar market cap, depending on how aggressive you want to be with, you know, it's disruption of the derivatives market. Sure. Um, the other kind of key point I'd like to, you know, to bring up here is a lot of people think like, this is the new base money, you know, like this is going to be the, you know, this is going to take down the dollar. Like this is all about inflation of the dollar, like protecting against inflation. All that seems a little, eh, you know, if you need the, if you need, the, if you need to have that idea, if you need to anchor to that idea so that you can dream about how this is going to go in price, fine. I don't care, but it doesn't seem uh, likely or realistic just because of, um, you know, the, the, just the worldwide ubiquity of the dollar right now. And I, you know, I, I, even, even if the fed does a digital dollar, Europe does a digital dollar, China does a digital, you know, yawn, uh, yen, whatever, whatever that currency is called. Uh, what, it, the governments move so freaking slow, like impossibly slow. Even legacy markets move so slow and crypto is on freaking speed. It is so fast and it is innovating so quickly. It is really tough for me to see there. there is really um, much uh, of a threat, I guess, that there's going to be some other product that comes along that has a government stamp of approval that is anywhere close to as resilient as what we have with Bitcoin, because really the key is it's it, it the attack surface is so small and so so minuscule. There's so little likelihood that this thing can realistically be brought down from the outside. And, you know, if you are diligent, if you are if you understand what you're you know, what you're doing and you know, put in the time and the effort to make some transactions, get a get a wallet, write down your key phrase, uh, you know, start, get another wallet, send some stuff to yourself like, you know, just get familiar with, you know, moving this stuff around like it is mind blowing how frictionless it is. Mind blowing. The hardest part about anything that I do in crypto is waiting a week for bank transfers to get into my accounts that are the actual, you know, rails to get in and out because I can, once you get into crypto, I mean, we've got, we have stable coins now to the extent where you get like one kind of stable coin that can run on multiple different rails. Like uh, the USDC stable coin can run on Ethereum rails, or you can run it on Solana layer if you want it to show up in less than three seconds, because if you run anything on Solana, it'll show up in three or four seconds. And, uh, this is not an endorsement, although I do have some Solana. Anyway, uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's not an endorsement. There's different. There's there's all kinds of different layer ones. I think maybe a good thing to talk about is if you're getting into the crypto space and you're trying to, you know, because there's basically there's Bitcoin, which is its own thing, and then there's other ecosystems that have a whole lot more things that you can do with them. The Bitcoin, Bitcoin, you can't add programming layers. There's no smart contracts to it. But it, it is its own thing. It is a you know, gold in cyberspace. And that's a very valuable, very interesting use case. 
But once, once you get into the smart contract space and you have all of these different layer ones, you know, the, the main one right now is Ethereum, but Ethereum has its own drawbacks. And then, you know, there's some other competitors that are all trying to figure out, all right, do we carve out our own niche? Because Ethereum has such a foundation built with all of the applications that are built on it, the way everyone interfaces with their wallets, the way like, you know, NFTs themselves are ERC tokens. They're tokens that run on the Ethereum network. So as other layer one chains try and compete with Ethereum, they have to make a decision about, all right, do we want to build our own ecosystem from scratch or do we want to build around the idea of being interoperable with Ethereum? And so I, I think that like if you're, if you're looking for an ecosystem to get into, you definitely want to be involved in Ethereum because I think the eventual um, successful other layer ones will become successful because they build around the idea of being interoperable with Ethereum. You know, yeah. Uh, chains like Polkadot, for example. <clears throat> okay. Um, I get entirely why the bit, the use case for Bitcoin is simple. It's easy to explain to people. It's self-evident as soon as you get some and you start using it. I think all of that is fair and true. Um, it's un And it's understandable why institutions want to have some. You want to have that reserve currency on your balance sheet right now, regardless. And eventually, you know, and we are at a very tip of the iceberg in terms of actual adoption on the corporate level you know in the united states and that's good that's that's the that's the bull cycle that we're in now which is we go from just michael saylor and micro strategy to everybody's got to apple's got some right like that's that's the that's the arc we're on right now right and i it's it's clear and obvious that it, it becomes more valuable because the supply is 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 what it is and you have these, you know, basically zealots who are holding on to it for dear life, who will never sell because they they have bought into the the um, the mythos around this, and it's and it's real. Um, now, I also understand why Ethereum has its own use cases. I get it, smart contracts, you know, in the same way that at at a, at a baseline, um, you know, at a baseline, you're replacing gold with Bitcoin in sort of the, 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 the store of value. And in, with Ethereum, you're taking, um, you're, you're, you're making um, the opportunity to do legal transactions, financial transactions, um, and all sorts of uh, ownership, um, you know, through NFTs, all of this becomes digital, which is, which again, no argument. All of this stuff eventually becomes digital ownership. I completely agree with all of this. And, you know, there is a digital, um, you know, uh, you don't want to be to to be relying on a lawyer, on a on a uh, on a mortgage broker, on a, you know, a lot of these, you know, you know, uh, intermediaries to do business in the digital age. Like it's just it's not, uh, you know, it's not uh, advisable. And but the problem, I guess, and or at least, you know, the, the comment that I made today that you that I'm curious your opinion on. Um, you know, Peter Jennings threw out, uh, what's the, uh, you know, what, what, from this point to the end of the year, what grows faster? And I think it's Bitcoin and I don't think it's close because I think the, generally the use case has stabilized the, you know, all the FUD that existed throughout the 2017 cycle. Like, like every time there was a little mini bull run in 2017, like it just got popped on the head. Like, yeah. oh, 
no, you know, oh, oh, now everybody's got money and everybody wants their say. And the miners think this and the developers think this. And, you know, fees are too expensive. We can't figure out how to scale. Uh, you know, oh, this this other this other thing is going to actually do this better. Maybe we should invest in that. You know, like there was bifurcation, fracturing of like opinion and all of this. You know, there was just a lot of growing pains in 2017. And I see all of that is gone now for bitcoin whereas with ethereum it all it's going through those exact cycles of that exact pain now um and i'll tell my story about ethereum and nfts a little bit after i get your opinion here but um the, the, the things you hear constantly now uh ethereum gas is too expensive it costs too much to do transactions people who are you are expected to be using this musical artists artists uh lawyers and, and <laughs> the the open sea conversation we had okay. like yeah. we dug into open sea it's like this is first of all way more complicated to use than we thought it would be and then the cost of gas is like oh that's like i was just gonna goof around and list some art like i literally just put laser eyes on an otter I ended up using that for like the cover art on a, on a podcast you did the other day. I'm like, I'm going to list this for like, you know, 0.1 Ethereum. Just say I, I'm an NFT artist, add it to my body, you know, put it on the CV. It'd be cool. And then it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's going to be like a hundred bucks to list this. Yeah. Suck an egg. I'm, I was just goofing. I don't want to do this anymore. And then not only that, but yeah, you had to, there, there were numerous steps to be taken before you even got to there. Yeah, you have you've developers and miners in Ethereum that have gotten life-changing wealth in the last few months. And they are all now searching for their voice and their position, you know, their power, and they have their incentive. They want their incentive represented in the future of this uh, of this ecosystem. Um, you have imitators and you know co copycats competitors all entering the market trying to take some, you know, like, oh, we're gonna flip in ETH. You know, like we're going to be, you know, we, we're going to solve all these problems that they have in one swoop. So invest in our, you know, platform, right? Like, you know, th that there's like, there's like six of them, right? And they're taking a market share. So basically, I just see pretty obviously all of the, you know, all of the friction that existed for Bitcoin on its, uh, you know, on its bull run through 2017. It's all, it's like deja vu all over again. Right. Uh, well, I would say that all of that stuff is the reason why ethereum is not over five thousand dollars right now of course it, the, yes the token would be over five thousand dollars right now if it weren't for some of that doubt now ethereum's range of outcomes for this year is much wider than bitcoin's bitcoin like at some point this year bitcoin's going to be somewhere between one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars and three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and i don't think there's really a lot that can happen that stops that from happening um Ethereum has so many different things that could happen that could either make it much less successful or make it way more successful to the point where its market cap goes into the trillions as well. And so the, uh, the conversation, I mean, so, so right now they're running layer two solutions on top of Ethereum that reduce the gas fees. So they're, they're working on reducing the gas fees right now. Uh, Uniswap comes out with their version three later this week, and that's going to run on Matic Polygon, which is a layer two solution. So there's ways around Ethereum's gas fee just by going to the layer twos. So that's that's the first step. But you just just wait. There, there's a lot more steps. Uh, at the end of April is the Berlin hard fork of the Ethereum network that will improve efficiency and it will lower gas fees somewhat. So that's 
That's coming at the end of April. In July is the London hard fork, which will also reduce gas fees. At some point in July also, they're supposed to institute EIP 1559, which reduces gas fees, but changes the tokenomics entirely. It changes the math of Ethereum, which I think is a critical thing that a lot of people don't realize because Ethereum goes from being a inflationary currency to a deflationary currency. The gas fees, rather than being rewarded to the miners, the gas fees get burned. So as far from the technical side, and that's all before they transition to Ethereum 2.0, Ethereum 2.0 transition probably happens early next year. On the technical side, I think that they have the plans in place to make all of this stuff happen successfully. You know, of course, there's risk of it not happening successfully. But what I think is the bigger problem that Ethereum has is a minor problem. Because, you know, what do you always hear about when, when people talk about Bitcoin? Well, someone could do a 51% attack. You know, they could gather enough of the miners, they could get enough of the miners together and, you know, destroy Bitcoin. And what do people say? You know, why would you do that? If, if you got all the miners together, why would the miners ruin something that, you know, butters their bread? You know, the, the thing that they make their money off of, why would they destroy it deliberately? And Ethereum is in this odd position right now because the network as it currently exists depends on the miners running all of the nodes, right? The miners have to run the network because right now Ethereum is a proof of work network just like Bitcoin is. But in the first quarter of next year, they will transition to Ethereum 2.0, which is a proof of stake system, meaning all of the miners go from mining Ethereum every day to mining nothing. The network is gone. So the whole system of incentivizing miners to act the right way doesn't work when you're taking away mining from the network and you're switching to a proof of stake system as as opposed to a proof of work system. So it's been interesting to just watch developments recently, like EIP 1559 takes gas fees away from the miners and burns them to make Ethereum deflationary instead of inflationary. And that was very unpopular and the miners didn't want it and somehow it passed. So you're already starting to see that the Ethereum Foundation, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're able to get the miners on board with a lot of the things that they want to do. So if I'm making, if I'm going to make a bull case for Ethereum for you real quick, to, you know, this is the scenario where Ethereum increases in value significantly more than Bitcoin increases in value over this bull market. Those hard forks go through correctly. EIP 1559 goes in correctly. And then one other element that creates an additional supply shock in the ethereum token market is if staking starts in earnest now we've already seen a lot of people stake their ethereum as part of the 2.0 node validation basically you can you can take your ethereum and stake it and earn you know 13 14 percent appreciation of your ethereum but right now, if you stake, and this is why I do not recommend that anyone stake. If you're, if you're thinking about staking Ethereum, I wouldn't do it right now because you are taking on all of the risk of Ethereum not doing well, if, of any of these hard forks not going through correctly. Because as soon as you stake Ethereum 1.0, those, coins are, those tokens are gone forever. 
they will be recreated on the new chain when the new chain goes live. But in the meantime, your coins are just gone and you have a derivative of those coins that you cannot withdraw. So it's instant, it instantly becomes illiquid. And you know, if the price of Ethereum goes up really high in October, for example, and then falls, you're going to sit there and watch it fall with no ability to sell your Ethereum because sure. you're locked in until Ethereum 2.0 goes live. So I don't recommend people do it, but people are doing it. I've, I've done it myself because I'm, I'm a crazy person that wants to try everything. <laughs> I've got some Ethereum staked onto the 2.0 network right now. But what I would say is Coinbase is launching an Ethereum staking platform this summer. So people that use Coinbase are going to be able to, they're going to look at it and you know the people on Coinbase do not understand the market because they're on Coinbase and they're paying massive fees that they don't need to pay. Um, you know, they could go literally anywhere else and not be milked, but, um, they'll go into Coinbase and they'll say, wait, I can earn 7% on my Ethereum. That's fantastic. And they'll go ahead and hit the stake button. So what happens when significant, when a significant portion of the supply of Ethereum gets staked, it, it no longer exists on the Ethereum 1.0 network. So the Ethereum 1.0 you know, pool of possible coins is already going to be going through a supply shock of the EIP 1559. And then at the same time, you have Ethereum tokens that are getting pulled off the network, staked to the next network and become instantly illiquid until Ethereum 2.0 comes out. So what I would say is that type of supply shock is really hard to figure out the math for. Sure. And it's a case in which Ethereum's value could jump up to where one token goes over $20,000 fairly easily. Okay. So here's how I would rebut this. The supply shock could be real. Yes. Uh, I knew none of this that you just said before um, exchanging some Bitcoin for Ethereum at Kraken uh, back in, let's say, January. Um, I was like, I want some Ethereum. I want to try to like start messing around with this because I've always been a Bitcoin maxi. Ne never really, you know, I dabbled in some shit coins in 2017, 2018, but it was always like, all right, uh, I'll flip these and hopefully I get a, you know, a fraction of a Bitcoin more back. Oh yes, I did. Okay. I win. Or, oh, this went to zero. Shoot. You know, like it was literally like playing the lottery. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to actually start to try to use Ethereum, try to get a sense of how these smart contracts work, whatever. I just want to practice, try this, you know, experiment, which again, the most valuable piece of information you probably will take from this podcast is, you know, try this stuff out for yourself and under, you know, get a feeling, get an understanding of what it takes, how it works, uh, because that will serve you in the future, because this is going to be the future in some form. It may not be exactly this, but, uh, you know, nothing any time energy spent now on your end is going to be, you know, good lesson learned in my opinion. So I, fly, I flipped some, some Bitcoin for Ethereum and I was like, okay, cool. Let's see if it goes up in price. And it's like, okay, it's going up. Nice. Um, but not as fast as Bitcoin. Shoot. Um, and then I'm like, well, how do I, you know, like, like, am I really going to sit on this for like six months? And I'm like, maybe. And then I'm like, what's this staking? And I'm looking to staking a crack and I'm like, ooh, 10%. Like, just like you're saying, I'm like, ooh, interesting. Like, I could just I could stake this. Like, how long does the staking term? And it's like, oh, it's staking until Ethereum 2.0 is released. But we don't know what the date is. And it's like, what? And then you start Googling around. You start asking some people. It's like, when's Ethereum 2.0? And it's like, well, it could be later this year. It could be next year. It could be never. And it's like, oh, 
<laughs> like, well, uh, I'm not going to stick. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, ne- never, never <laughs> seems kind of worrisome. And that <laughs> was my biggest, like when, when you looked into these two and you, you looked at like the difference. And I think a lot of people were confused by that. The difference between, and now, now I'm fucking confused. Like the difference between people just owning Ethereum and staking Ethereum. What is the difference when, you know, when the, when the next token, when the 2.0 comes out, is it all just the same? They all just are converted no matter what, but you're, you, you know, the people who just did bought Bitcoin at, at an exchange or excuse me, Ethereum at an exchange, they, they can actually exit out if there is a supply shock or something weird happens. Yeah. All of your Ethereum 1.0 gets converted to uh, Ethereum 2.0 as soon as you transact with an exchange after the transition takes place. So that okay. should but you be- don't get you don't get the whatever the plus the 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 yield yeah the, yeah uh, there's the a trade off you don't you don't get the yeah um so so am I on my Ethereum journey then and I'm trying to understand you know is this really the future of finance is this really uh you know gonna challenge Bitcoin is it gonna flip is it gonna flip Bitcoin um and really that just means is it gonna be worth more and you know is one Ethereum gonna be worth more than one Bitcoin at some point or whatever um the uh the or the network overall uh you know larger larger market market cap can be higher um so I'm looking I'm like okay let's let's uh let's try some of these let's get into the NFT space Let's let's uh, you know let's let's uh, see how these NFT works. And of course, the first one that comes across our radar because we're in the world of sports and particularly basketball is Top Shots, obviously. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's buy some Top Shots. This sounds cool. These look cool. I'm not going to go buy you know a thirty thousand dollar moment or whatever, but I at least want a pack. Um, and the process to get your money into Top Shots, it wasn't meant for me. It wasn't meant for someone who has dabbled a little bit, and I'm no, not somebody who's 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 uh, who's done some Bitcoin transactions and understands sort of the frictionless exercise of transacting in Bitcoin. Um, it was tough. It was cumbersome. There was a third party. The third party tried to redirect me to Coinbase uh, or you know or just go with the credit card payment, and I was like, this doesn't seem like crypto. Like this doesn't have the hallmarks of like a of like a really well thought out, really well developed system at all. And it I felt was like, like loading up a sports book in 2014. Yes, it, it, yeah. it's great comp. Great, I did great, not great, like great it. Comp. I was like, I, I don't anyway. like this. It's like I don't like this. I'm I. I was like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Uh, we'll get. I don't want to disparage Top Shots because obviously I think they're. You know, I have, I'm hopeful that they have a real plan and that it all goes smoothly and doesn't turn into some terrible disaster. But uh, I don't want to speculate because I really have no idea. Um, but now I have my Ethereum and I'm like, well, let's go, let's go buy some NFTs. Let's go buy some art. Let's go buy some music. Let's, you know, let's, let's see how, how this works. Let's see how hard it is. I was not impressed <laughs> with how hard it was. I have got to tell you. I at first I'm like, okay, well, I'll set up a MetaMask. Now, this is not as secure as the Bitcoin wallet, but whatever. I'm fine. Whatever. Fine. Uh, I got a MetaMask. I sent some Ethereum to my MetaMask. Okay. Uh, let's go to OpenSea. Okay. Let's look through some art. Like, oh, these are kind of cool. Oh, this guy that I like has got a bunch of these. These are cool. I'm going to buy some of those. Okay. How do I uh, buy them with my MetaMask? ETH. ETH. No. You got to go, um, you don't have any wrapped Ethereum. It's like, uh, all right, whatever. How do I get wrapped Ethereum? It's like, okay, well, go to the gas station and wrap your Ethereum. It's like, okay, go. 
wrap my theory. Okay, this costs it was, nine It's like a to... fucking side quest. Yes, on yes, 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 exactly. It's like, okay, oh, let's you go need to trade your your the loot of destiny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's side quest. It's Zelda so, side quest. It really did feel like that. Like, you got to exchange the chicken for the for the frog, for the soup panel, for the pineapple, blah, blah, blah. And, and, okay, so, so okay, wrap my ETH. That cost me nine bucks. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And then, uh, you know, okay. And, and and it was interesting. I didn't realize in order to wrap the ETH, you got to use Uniswap. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm using Uniswap for something finally. Like I've never actually used yeah, I, Uniswap. I don't, I, I don't some Uniswap. Yeah, so I've owned some Uniswap, but I've never actually used it to turn anything into anything. And so, okay, I'm turning my ETH into wrapped ETH, whatever the fuck that means. And so what, now- what means, <laughs> Whenever you have a, a token and you have to turn it into a wrapped token, what that means is you're trying to take an Ethereum token off of the Ethereum blockchain and move it to another blockchain. So they have to okay. take the Ethereum and mint it. Switch and rails. Right. So, okay. so I think that your, your OpenSea platform that you were using is probably run on a different set of layer one instead of Ethereum. And okay. so that's why if, if you would use, I think that there's you know, like Rarible, for example, I think Rarible yeah. is all native Ethereum, so you wouldn't have had that issue. But anytime that you're trying to go cross-chain, it becomes more complicated because you have sure. to take like there's wrapped Bitcoin too. There's all kinds of wrapped yeah. tokens, yeah. but it's because it's basically taking the asset, putting it into some kind of package that puts it onto a different chain so that that other chain can move it. Okay, so let's go on, still going through this. Now I got my wrapped Ethereum. Great. I just I, I wrapped everything that was in my wallet. Whatever. I didn't really think about it. Now I have my my wrapped Ethereum. Just double bagging everything. <laughs> double bagging everything. Now I go. I'm shopping at OpenSea. I'm like, okay, let's get let's get let's let's make some bids on these. You know, I don't even know if they'll go up. I can't believe what these cost. Like it's like in U.S. dollars, it's like this is absurd. But whatever. You know, I'm trying to get the experience. So I'm you know buying a couple things or making bids on things, and it's not letting me get the bid in. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what is going on here? Well, I don't actually have enough Ethereum in my metamask in order to pay the gas to actually do the transaction after because you wrapped so it like, all i'm like are you kidding me so now like, i go back to bit go back to my exchange exchange some more bitcoin from ethereum put it in my metamask now thankfully that is all like lightning fast like that right. was all very 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 quick but this whole this, this whole story is just to say that the kinks have not been worked out they have not. We are far from this being a frictionless operation. And I would put in contrast, uh, when I had some, I have some Bitcoin and, you know, I, 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 in like November, December, I'm uh, trying to set up a wallet on my phone. I'd set up a wallet. I moved some in and out and I'm like, ooh, baby, like this is, you know, exchange to wallet, wallet to sports book, sports book to, uh, uh, to wallet, wallet to friend to settle debts. Like, I'm like, wow, like this is, so smooth, so fast, so transparent and easy to use from my iPhone. Fantastic. Um, how can I spend this? Okay, well, you can go to get the Fold app downloaded. You can actually, you have, I have a Lightning Wallet component in my wallet and I can just spend this stuff and get, you know, rebates. And I'm like, I'm spending it for Amazon gift cards, you know, gifts and stuff like, you know, you know delivery orders. And I'm like, this is smooth. They've got this figured out. Like they, they did, they did. They figured it out. Bitcoin to them. What's that? Everyone wants you to spend your Bitcoin to them. Of course, everyone wants, to, and they and they guess what? They spent the bear market figuring that out, right? right? They figured it out. Like it is smooth as can be. It is so smooth. And the experience that I had with the Ethereum and buying NFTs and all of this, 
like forget about whether or not they accrue or or go zero i don't really care but i but the experience was it was not smooth it was not frictionless it was hard and i don't think that in a bull market you're going to be able to get this stuff figured out when really like the stuff you brought up about you know the the eip uh and the um you know transitioning from 1.0 to 2.0 and in, in, integrating uniswap on a new layer two like this is complicated shit like this takes years to really figure out and get it right in a way that is smooth and seamless like bitcoin is now i think there are two thousand developers working on ethereum solutions of course of course the smartest people in the world probably i i do not doubt it i don't doubt it but the idea that you can get these guys full attention when at the same time they obviously have some bitcoin now that's going to two hundred thousand. you know like 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 all these people have life-changing wealth all of a sudden uh, like, you know, the idea that you're going to get their full attention and get all this stuff figured out on the fly with like 24 seven work around the clock, you know, in, in this environment is tough for me to buy. And so I, I just if you were to tell me one of two things is going to happen with Ethereum, it's either going to figure all this out on the fly and be worth whatever it's worth or it's going to struggle because people who are going to go like do the same path that I went on, try to buy a, a crypto punk and realize like that was exceptionally hard and it was i was priced out and i don't understand this anyway like i'm not going to do it i'm not going to engage in it like that seems like a more likely outcome for a lot of this stuff which is why i think i'm a little i think the growing pains are just gonna they're gonna stunt the the overall growth of the asset this year and on top of that like if we're old timers relatively in all of this and we are not impressed and we are not you know, like ready to go all in on this asset. Like how in the hell are institutions going to be there at any point during this year? It, they think of this entirely as a speculative asset. They may, they, they probably look at this and they're like, you know, a lot of what we heard, said on this podcast is a different, it was a foreign <laughs> guy commented, what language is this? Like, yeah, like this sounds like a foreign language to a lot of people. I just have a tough time thinking that there's going to be institutional investment to the tune of, you know, you could get the same kind of growth in Ethereum as you can get in Bitcoin. So <clears throat> with the Ethereum token specifically, there's there's been a significant amount of institutional investment in uh, in the Ethereum actual token. I think that uh, Grayscale is close to $10 billion worth of Ethereum on their system. Com right compared now. to what though for Bitcoin? Uh, 30, I think, I think they're up to $30 uh, billion worth of Ethereum. So a ratio of like 0.3? Yeah, something like that. I mean, they also have like, they have some Litecoin, they have some Bitcoin cash, but all of those are under a billion dollars worth on their books. They do have a, a, a good amount of Ethereum compared to all of the other altcoins, but uh, it's not going to have the kind of institutional adoption that Bitcoin will, obviously, because people are still trying to figure out what it is. But uh, <clears throat> I will say one other thing that we haven't discussed is regarding the gas fees for Ethereum, they are as much a feature for Ethereum as they are a bug because the, the gas fee is essentially every transaction that takes place over the network is metered and it's all just built right into the network so that you pay based on how much of the network's total capacity you're using and what the cost of the overall network is. They've done that, you know, they created Ethereum that way from the beginning because they wanted Ethereum to be a distributed smart computer with the ability to do loop chains that have you know, potential for AI use in the future. 
And they wanted to be able to make sure that they pass those costs onto the people that are using the network the most. And that was what they thought was the best way to do that. Um, some of the competitors to Ethereum, uh, like Polkadot, for example, Polkadot does not use gas fees the same way. They're not built into the chain. They, uh, they charge people for the parachains. Basically, uh, Polkadot has its base chain, and then it builds chains off of that that make it interoperable with every other chain. And so you have to pay to get in line if you want to have a parachain that operates with it. So basically, they're addressing a different customer. Most of the Ethereum applications are passing on the gas fees to their customers. Some of them do not. Like FTX, for example, for a long time was just paying all the gas fees for their customers themselves. But you know, most applications pass the gas fee along to the customer. But what that means is people that use the Polkadot base chain are still going to end up paying for things in Ethereum because Ethereum, the token, is so interwoven into the space. Even as other competitors come in and try to interoperate with Ethereum, Ethereum's token is so tied to the overall space that it becomes the currency for the space. So that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's the yin and yang. It's the good and bad of having the gas fees as part of your network. I see. Okay. Well, they got a lot of gas out of me for not a lot of stuff. So that's part of the reason I'm a little skeptical, I guess. So, and well, and too, like the comment I made after we described, because like you, you told the long version because you had to auto audible or, you know, say it out loud. I couldn't think of the word I wanted to use there, but you know, you typed it out to me and I read it. I'm like, I'm like now, you know, you, you wonder why like NFT adoption is tr tricky. Like now explain what you just explained to me to like your parents. Yeah. Right. Like what, what you did there. Just like it, it's such a mind melt, like what you have to do to some, and it's funny. Somebody brought up this VV app. I am going to check that out. Uh, so yeah, I, this, the other kind of whiff I got of using all this is not is is a lot of it feels like it's trying to prove a use case. It's trying to prove that this isn't vaporware, right? Like it's trying to you know like the like the fact that OpenSea was like, well, you got to use Uniswap to make a wrapped ETH, like. You know, look how much Uniswap is being used right now. Like, and it's re in reality, all it's doing is moving people f across rails, right? Like, yeah, okay, that's a use case, I guess. But is that enough of a use case for it to be the, like the, what the sixth or seventh most valuable currency across all crypto just because it can move people rails? Like, and, and so I guess I just wonder at least for now, all of the speculative stuff below Bitcoin, even ETH to a degree, feels valued on potential feels speculative and it feels like the metrics that you would use to even evaluate is this something that is being used is kind of being inflated to a degree just because of the way the system's been engineered and built to prove that it can be used is that is that crazy i i think that that makes sense and i would say that the speculation is evident in that you know the number one is bitcoin in market cap the number two is ethereum and then the next four coins after that, if you exclude table, stable coins, like take Tether off the board, but the next four coins after Ethereum are Ethereum competitors that people are buying because they hope that they're the winner that somehow flips ETH. Like you have Binance Smart Chain, 
which is a copycat of ETH. They basically just forked ETH and it's, it's all controlled by Binance. So it's not a decentralized cryptocurrency anymore. The, the nodes are managed by the Binance exchange. But what they're able to do by doing that is have the Ethereum network, but without gas fees. So you know, Binance was smart in that they created a product that works with MetaMask and is completely interoperable with anything that uses ETH. They can take ERC tokens and put it onto the Binance Smart Chain because the Binance Smart Chain is basically ETH. It's just it's ETH without the mining and without any of the any of the same back end. It's just all managed by servers at Binance's headquarters. So if you like, you know, Binance controlling everything, then you know you could migrate some of your stuff. That over fails to- a major, major, major test in the crypto space, which is not it's not decentralized. I mean no, like we, we we actually poked into this today when yeah. I was looking at, you know, sending Ethereum into Binance. It's like what what is the difference here? Why are there two things? And then you go look and like, oh, this is like the store brand. This is their knockoff. Like this is they control this. I'm like, I don't like that. Oh, yeah. So Binance has been a is part of the problem with the gas fees on Ethereum is caused by Binance intentionally because they have a competitive product. And so, you know, the four of the top 10 wallets in gas fees generated are all wallets that are at Binance. That sounds so, like this sounds like the same shit with Bitcoin was going through in 2017, where guys were just tr- microtransacting just to make the fees a pain in the ass, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, there, there's definitely an element of that. And then there's also an element of the applications that use Ethereum that need Ethereum to operate uh, smoothly. They are trying to suppress the price of Ethereum as much as they can because it kills them if the price of Ethereum goes up. Because you know the gas fees, the reason why it becomes such an issue is because they're denominated in Ethereum. If, the, if you know, say your gas fee is 0.05 Ethereum, when Ethereum is 300 bucks, that's not a big deal. But when Ethereum is 3000 bucks, that becomes a $150 gas fee. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the gas fees are pretty much stable depending on the, the, how much the network is being used. But the price of Ethereum becomes an impediment because mm. the gas fee is denominated in Ethereum, if that makes mm. sense. Okay. Do you think I was being that was too a dumb hard way on to Top do it. Shots? Yeah, it is a dumb way to do it. <laughs> do you think I was being too hard on Top Shots? Do you have any interest in that? I so I created an account for my son um, sure. because he, he wanted to he wanted to check it out. He thought it was a cool idea. People are getting in trouble for that. Uh, well, it's it's technically my account, but it's for him. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can't get in line for these drops that change times six and seven times before they actually happen and sit there and wait and all the other things. Like you basically have to not have a job to be a full time Top Shot person if you want to be a full time Top Shot person. But so he got in line for eleven straight pack drops, and he never got a pack. Oh, he's he's pretty much he's done. He doesn't really have. A lot I might of have things. to gift. I have this Ish Ish Smith assist that just Does sucks. Like I, I've been I've been Does trying like to gift. <laughs> like I don't. I have like three moments. I'm not very good at it. Either. Opening the pack I, is the exciting part, though. You know, you didn't want to get gifted a card when you were a kid. You want no. To get you a want to open cards. A pack. You should be able to. You should be able to gift a pack. So I I bought him a Bradley Beal, and a couple other people just were nice and sent sent him uh, one. So he's got three of them, but he. He isn't really dying to jump in, in line for the pack drops now because, you know, and that's one of the things, like, if you want to talk about within Top Shot specifically, why the you know Series 1 moments are going to become more and more valuable is Top Shot has to deal with their scaling issue in that there's so many more people on the network 
than I think they expected to have at this stage. Sure. And so they're, they are debating inflating their own moment counts. So like what in series one was issued as a one of 2,500 might in future series, like series three, that might end up being one of 30,000. So not only do you have the, you know, early bias where it's more valuable because it was one of the first ones minted, but it's also more valuable because future issuances had a much larger group of, you know, is is a huge pool of more and more and more moments with the same identical tag. It's it's funny. It's just this, it's the same as anything that's ever come before it. It's like the the little the little German shepherd kids, the Hummels. You know, the, right. the ones that they first made way way back, there weren't that many. If your great grandma had one, they're worth thousands. And then like everybody wanted them, so then they said, "Well, we can send you one per month." And those are worth like 20 bucks now. It's the same as anything. Like the, the early adopters are always going to win these things. Some of the people that were in early, I mean, apparently way back, like when packs became available, you just be like, well, I'm going to buy a pack. Like, you know, you, so, whatever. Yeah. Like I, yeah. you could buy multiple packs. Like it sounds like lunacy now because these drops, it's the best feeling in the world is when you, when you get in, it's like 175,000th place. Like, <laughs> You know, the one where they were $200 a pop. And I thought yeah. maybe that'll deter some people. Like, ah, I'm, I'm dipping my toes in, but I don't want to spend that. There was more people in that drop. But the EV for it was like 2000 bucks. Yeah. And I think enough enough people, 200,000 yeah, 200, people understood that. And, like, your, your chance of getting one is really low. And then people were excited about getting these packs over the weekend where they had three drops. And, like, you know, the EV for this pack sucks. Like, it's still positive. You want to get a pack, but you shouldn't get excited because there's so many of these packs. There's so many of these moments. Every, it's, it's the rarity is just low on these. And, I mean, I did end up getting, like, a lower serial number in one. So I have one card that's – I always call them cards. I don't think that'll ever stop. I'm going to call them cards, but I have one. I'm going to call it a card. It's a card. I have one card that's worth a little, but the other one's just like, these, these aren't cool. Hmm. Do you have some general thoughts on sort of the future of NFT uh, space, either art, music or other, or even this? I mean, I'm I, to go back to the MT Gox comp, like the idea that there is a very solid choke point and, and off ramps are closed uh, is scary uh and concerning and you know how that deflates the bubble when on ramps or off ramps are open is uh to be determined um they at least have the nba involved who presumably will keep this from becoming like a disaster i assume um but you know who the hell knows um do you have any thoughts on sort of the other um you know the buzz around the nft space be it art or music Yeah, I think NFTs aren't going anywhere. In fact, they're just going to become more and more ubiquitous. They're going to be in just about every type of market that you want to get into. And the reason for that is that the idea at the foundation of NFTs is extending private property and personal ownership to the digital media space, to the internet. And that idea has significant value because it also provides rails of monetization to a bunch of different industries that have struggled to uh, monetize themselves for a long time in the digital era in the digital age period oh yeah like you know the the whole napster situation you know napster and downloading music and limewire and all of that i think the music industry is one that's 
going to be transformed significantly because you can have artists that issue music as NFTs. They don't have to go through intermediaries. They don't have to go through record labels. If a radio station wants to play their music, they can purchase an NFT or they can lease the rights to an NFT and they can play the music off of that song and the artist makes a residual based on the agreements of that lease. You can issue limited edition NFT music albums. So someone can say, oh, I got Grateful Dead one of 600 or something like that, you know, and and I'm sure that the bidding for those will go crazy. But on top of that, you have you have the potential because it's all it's all public. It's all known. Every time an NFT changes hands, you can see what the history of that NFT is. It's all recorded the sale price in Ethereum because it's an ERC token and it's transacted on the Ethereum network. And so with Ethereum there and with NFTs, they're able to pay residuals back to the original artist whenever an item is resold. So every time an, one of the NBA top shots is resold, the NBA makes a cut of that. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a pretty yeah. powerful part of this. Get me. Specifically, that's going to get the eyeballs of every other sports league because it's, this is just a free addressable market. You know, they can they can get into it by creating an agreement with somebody that will mint the NFTs for them, and then they make residual money off of it long term. I, you know, I think that Top Shot already has a deal with the NFL Players Association, which I'm, I'm sure the NFL is trying to figure out how that happened. But, uh, <laughs> I want it to all be part of their standard revenue sharing, but all the sports leagues are going to want to be in nfts in one form or fashion and i think that that creates more of an a case more of a case for ethereum long term just because that's the that's the transactional that's the currency of the nft market yeah. Right now. Well, yeah, the, just, the i saw some of those numbers for like how much the nf or nfl excuse me how much the nba took and it you know it's 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 more than a drop in the bucket compared to their yearly revenue but it's you know it, it's not a huge number but it's not nothing and it's sure. surely not going to get smaller. So, like, why why wouldn't other leagues jump into this, especially if there's a hunger, especially a league like? I'll the tell NFL you why they wouldn't. So they wouldn't things. if this goes tits up. The and the, they yeah. better not fuck this up. Honestly, like this is this has yeah, so the, much potential. The this has the proof so, case. The ceiling in the future is so freaking high. Like what you know, I don't know. What what I would say if you want to make a bull case out of it is that. Imagine how Top Shot has exploded and their product sucks. Yeah, right. Imagine (laughs) imagine how much this product would have exploded if they actually had a fully functioning operational website. Their users hate it and the product isn't great and yet it still is exploding. Yeah, no, that's a great point. No, it's seriously, it's like like finding out a car (laughs) has serious mechanical issues and everyone on the lot is going to happen, and then people are still buying them. There's a waiting list. That sounds like Tesla. Everything yeah, like, about like, it. Or Tesla. <laughs> or yeah. like Tesla. Oh, yeah. yeah. These um, might burn you. These might start you might, on fire. Yeah, but they're expensive, okay. and they look cool, and you're going to want one. We, oh, and yeah, that, that's the thing. Like The marketplace is up like 30% of the time over the last week. We've taken a ton of – I think it's a great point. And we've taken a ton of Noah's time. I think Andy um, – I, I don't know how often we're going to have a, a giga brain uh, on this podcast like like Noah. Do you have any fundamental questions that you desperately want to know the answers to as you've kind of gotten more into the cryptocurrency landscape and sort of the future of finance here? We should change the background to the 
to oh yeah we probably should have had it that way the whole time then people would have known what this was about what do you think Andy? you got any 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 fundamental questions about uh the future of finance no, I mean, I, a lot of, it's funny, like a lot of the Ethereum questions got answered. Like I had a ton of questions about what, what the future of Ethereum was in that sense. And like, I'm glad Noah kind of went through all that because that was super confusing just because I haven't read up on it because I don't give a shit about Ethereum. <laughs> it, it, well, I mean, it, it, it is, there is yeah. utility to like it and people. I've used, yeah. well, I've used it. There, there's some utility to it, but it's just like not something I'm, it's not something that enters my mind space as much as it's funny. I skip over that. It's Bitcoin or just garbage coin. Like <laughs> there's nothing. I don't like the in between. So um, I first bought Ethereum for six dollars, and obviously I don't have any of those anymore. But I bought a thousand of them when they were six dollars each, and you know, kind of wish I had hung on to those. But uh, you know, mistakes were made. Um, one, the one thing that I would say about Ethereum, just to wrap up in the space is, do you know why train tracks are as wide apart as they are? Somebody decided on the game. Because that's how wide the trains are. They're that wide because that's how wide Roman chariot wheels were apart. Okay. Because yeah. that's, that's the Roman roads have been made and they've been designed that way. And every, it, it's just the cost of changing something from one ecosystem to another is so great. And the rails that Ethereum has in place are such a barrier for someone else to overcome that it's I think- It's like downtown Boston. Yeah, you'll have a lot of trouble. Like with, there's been one person who tried to change the width of, uh, there's one person with the hubris to change the width of rails on a uh, on a train. Do you know who that is? Uh, that girl from the novel. What's it, the- It was Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Oh. Oh, I just okay. compared it. Yeah. He was he a brazen. He redesigned the <laughs> and the rails and he made them four foot wide because then they could carry a lot bigger payload and they could turn faster around corners. And uh, it, it bankrupted the Third Reich trying to put new rail lines covering the entirety of the Reich because he was just so stubborn. And he said, we need to go to four foot wide rails. These are too narrow. That's but, quite a nugget. Um, okay. Well, I, okay. So that's, that, that sums up why Ethereum's not going to get beat out by Binance smart chain or right. any of these other yeah. comp competitors, right? That's fine. I, I don't have it. Don't take it. Yeah, Binance is Hitler's what, rail, railroad. My, I agreed with your opinion on the price trajectory of Bitcoin hundred percent. I, and I agree. I don't think there's a ton of wiggle room really. I don't think the uncertainty is that high, but, but I definitely think the entirety of 2021, uh, Hardcore Ethereum bugs are going to be disappointed again and again and again. Every leg up of all the rest of cryptocurrency, it's going to be the laggard because of the all the friction that exists in figuring this out to be the potential that it eventually will have. And then at the end of the year, you'll see it finally get its run. It's not going to be as much as you know people have dreamed of and then we're you know we're going to transition right into a bear market and people are going to lose their shit but I, I think it i think this is like the i think this is entire um you know reliving 2017 for bitcoin and in the next bull market cycle whenever that is what 2024 i guess uh 2025 four or five in that right. ballpark um then ethereum will be the the asset to own and that's going to see the bigger growth versus Bitcoin. 
I would say that I agree with the comparison of Ethereum in this bull market to Bitcoin in the last bull market, especially if you look at network effects and number of wallets and all of those things. It's right on pace with what Bitcoin did in the 2017 cycle. And uh, in the 2017 cycle, Bitcoin went from a previous high price of uh, 1200 up to 20000 And your Ethereum's high price in that last bull run was... 1300 so yeah if it was just the same thing that bitcoin did the last time that puts it at a really high price i don't think it's that high but you know it's it's possible even if it just follows the trajectory of bitcoin without any of the other supply ch shock elements hmm. okay all right we may have to make a friendly wager on which outperforms which Let's see how there's a way to do that i will send you a bastard gan punk of your choosing out of my glorious collection and, <laughs> one, of, and one of my wife one of my waifus <laughs> could you wrap your waifus you're gonna give him a waifu come on one of the ones i haven't named yet okay <laughs> okay could you wrap it over onto the solana chain and then send it to me <laughs> everything we'll wrap it we'll put it on the solana chain we'll send it. everything's wrapped yeah yeah, we'll use Uniswap or we'll, we'll sushi swap it. Probably that'll probably be the preferred method of wrapping eats and of wrapping wives and and uh, and and bastard punks uh, at that point. Um, all right, man. Well, this was a ton of fun. Uh, I'm excited to see how this all grows. I appreciate all your insight and knowledge and all yes. this stuff, and uh, look forward to um, you know look forward to seeing uh, uh, you know how what an impressive utility this takes over. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what happens? It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's got I mean, my full attention. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a polyamorous fellow. Yeah, that Andy. No. Are we all? Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we wrap. Uh, follow. Where can people find you on uh, on Twitter? And what? Uh, I guess I guess you're probably going to keep keep putting out uh, fantasy football, NFL betting content, uh, and because that's a passion beyond just. Yeah. Cryptocurrency, yeah, yeah. right? I'm guessing. I'm kind of hyper focused on crypto so that I don't miss out on the opportunities that are available. So I'll probably play a lot less fantasy than I do in a typical year, but um, this is going to be my normal cycle of three years of lots of sports and fantasy stuff, and then a year of uh, not really watching any sports at all if I'm trying to focus on, uh, <laughs> on improving my position. So. Okay. What's your Twitter handle again? Just my name, Noah Rudell, N O A H R U D D E L L. Very good. All right. Well, yep. Loved your love go, go track down those thread on NFTs. That's what kind of inspired us to get him on and have this conversation in the first place. It was excellent. And, uh, with that, we will call it a deep dive. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I learned something every time I talk to somebody smart in this space and, uh, I appreciate it all the time. So with that, best of luck. Hey, does your wife know you have wifers? How do you even go about explaining? How do you even go about explaining what it is though? Without coming across as mega creep. She's she's pretty hard in anti. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah. okay. Big big tentacle fan. <laughs> <laughs>